Welcome all. Uh, Zach Miller, Editor-in-Chief here at Tearsheet, and this is one of our LinkedIn Live sessions. We're doing a small sample of our podcast. We have over 500 episodes over the past 10 years, uh, and we're bringing them live here on LinkedIn. And uh, today's guest is Nellie Resny of Temenos. She's Executive Vice President of Business Solutions Group. Welcome, Nellie. Hey, thank you, Zach. Happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about banking with you and more specifically banking technology. But let, let's first start by giving a little bit of a snippet of who, who are you and, and, and what you're up to at Temenos. Yeah, sure. So once again, I'm Nellie Resney. I lead a, a team of uh, uh, business consultants across the Americas, so in the U.S., Canada, and uh, Latin America. Um, so we're really responsible for working with financial institutions with all of their different transformation initiatives. That's awesome. And, and you know, when I think about all of the conversations we had, we just had our banking conference last week in New York, just to hear the amount of challenges that are facing this industry right now. Um, maybe you can zoom out for us and, and give us a little bit about what you see uh, and what you're hearing from clients and prospects about the biggest challenges banks are facing today. Yeah, for sure. Zach. You know, there's no denying that we're going through some really interesting times, you know, and, and like sometimes all fronts. more often, yeah. you know, exactly, there are highs and lows, and sometimes they're cyclical. Um, you know, these financial institutions are facing enormous price pressures across the board, and, you know, really from all angles, from competitors to regulators to customers, investors, and stakeholders alike. If we just take the competitor angle, you know, for the last couple of years, we've seen numerous fintechs introduce new products and services. You know, some of the examples, we should all know them. Their deposit accounts, buy now, pay later. We've seen certain types of embedded finance services, and which has been more evident in the payment point. Mm -hmm. um, these fintech companies, you know, they don't carry legacy technologies or infrastructure and so they don't always have the regulator pressures that financial institutions have as well. Um, when you look at it that way, well, they're, they're, they're easier to launch products or go to market with something new and innovative mm -hmm. uh, that financial institutions certainly cannot do. So they're taking the industry by storm. You know, if you just look at the success of PayPal, you can look at a firm, mm -hmm. Apple and Google Play and Stripe. Uh, if you look at Apple's latest launch of their high interest savings yeah, account, one billion dollars, yeah, exactly. In what four in days? Four days wow. Yeah, it was That's crazy an incredible to statistic. be able to do yeah. that. Absolutely, and you know, as a bank sits back and looks at them, they say, "How do we do that?" Mm -hmm. Right. So they're also looking at different ways to innovate, and one area that comes to mind is in order for them to increase some revenue streams, some of them are becoming sponsor banks. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of some of the sponsor banks yeah. that are going on today. Now, these sponsor banks, if you look at them, they're offering banking as a service to some of these fintech players because these fintechs have great products, great services that may be struggling on getting their banking charter. So they're going to establish banking uh, organizations to help them. Mm -hmm. Now, while it appears to be easy and there could be some quick gains, really these banks are struggling uh, to onboard new fintechs because they simply cannot scale. Um, they're still leveraging some of the older technologies, so it's becoming really tough for them. And I feel like um, there was a little bit of, um, I guess, a follow-on effect as some of the earlier um, sponsor banks um, 
you know, started you started to see that growth. Um, other other banks jumped in, and obviously, you know, it's hard to have a platform business and a and a direct business like that. It requires a lot of investment of time and energy and focus, right? It really does, and that's been one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing today. Now they have to still try to build the trust. You know, the trust. We know what's going on in the industry. They're trying to also build stability and growth opportunities. And and what I think we're also seeing is another shift. There's numerous consolidations and mergers and acquisitions taking place, but not only in banking, also some of the new fintechs. You know, we had an influx of fintechs companies come out in the last couple of years, and there's going to be new ones. You know, there's no doubt there's going to be new ones that are going to emerge, but we are going to see a consolidation in that space as well so that they can build stronger and unified offering. So I do believe that these, you know, you know, in order to address rather these challenges, all service providers, I'm going to use that interchangeably within the banks and the fintechs, they have to invest. I mean, they just have to. They may have different priorities. They may have different uh, approaches, but ultimately they recognize that they have to focus on what matters most. They have to run a greener a lightweight, an agile, cost-effective, sustainable operational model in order to be able to compete. So that's operationally. What, um, From a technology point of view, what are you seeing uh, both your clients as well as, as your prospects? Uh, what are their biggest priorities in, in their technical requirements in today's market? Yeah, absolutely. I think technology is at the heart of everything, you know, in order for them to be able to grow. And, you know, you you heard me mention about some of the legacy technology that's there. If you look at some of the U.S. players, many of them are still running Mm -hmm. in-house, outdated systems. It's a spaghetti. It, It just is what it is. And they know it. And they're trying to do their best to streamline their operations. We're seeing a huge shift in SaaS and cloud, and that in itself supports the bank's ESG initiatives. We're all hearing how important ESG is becoming, not only to financial institutions, but they're getting pressured by their clients, their investors as well, to ensure that they are putting the proper measurements in place. So I do think that's an area from a technology perspective that we're seeing major shifts, and I'll talk a little bit more of that in just a moment. Uh, AI. We're all hearing different types of AI. Wait, there's AI going, going on. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of AI yeah. that's taking place right now. There's some that's disruptive. There's some that, you know, there's still. a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. And it's still very early in the sense of what it can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, AI itself has been around for quite some time. But when you just look at AI by itself, I mean, initially it was to help some of the operational efficiencies, Mm -hmm. but it needs to do more than that. And if you start looking at onboarding, you know, you need to be able to to have the right level of data to be able to provide, for example, the next best of breed product for that consumer. You need to be able to, to, to introduce new products and service, but if the data is not there, if the data is not reliable, if you don't have sufficient data, that in itself will also cause problems. So AI is going to continue to grow and we need to see where those shifts are going to be coming, pricing, 
scoring, cross-selling, mm-hmm. you know, top selling, all of that I think we're going to see in the AI for sure where financial institutions are going to make some investments. If I go back to SaaS, if I go back to SaaS and, and the adoption of SaaS, you know, there was a latest report that uh, indicated from Accenture that there is a major shift taking place right there. And 94% of the bankers that were surveyed said that they're already doing 50% of their movement. They're moving to the cloud in the next three years. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing it. We're certainly seeing it in financial institutions and we're seeing it in other spaces as well. Um, if you look at what Temenos is doing, you know, we do take ESG very serious. And in our continued path to sustainable growth, uh, we've also made that commitment and pledge in this area, and it's reflective in our banking cloud offering. We've developed ESG calculators, which is very key, that will allow our clients to track and monitor their carbon footprint. Uh, in our space, we've seen those clients uh, have seen a 95% reduction in energy emission. Mm-hmm. And even with our software itself, going from on, you know, removing from on-prem and running to the cloud, We've also seen a 30% reduction in carbon impact. So there's a lot of benefits when it comes to SaaS and cloud. I mean, I've, I've just named a few, but I'll tell you what's key with all of this. I think many times when you start looking at AI and you started looking at digital disruption and you look at the movement to SaaS, uh, many times it's looked into silos. And really, as you start moving to cloud, you need to start taking advantage of some of these modern technologies. You need to be able to ensure that whatever you put in place allows you a seamless capability to integrate between all these new different systems. We talked about fintechs in order for you to go out there and provide you know, payments as a service or buy now, pay later, you need to have the proper framework to truly be able to take advantage of what a SaaS offering can do or what these modern technologies can provide you. I like the way you explain that, Nelly. How, how mature are banks in their thinking about what you just described? Like if there was a spectrum between being like ready and all in versus like just beginning to <laughs> grapple with some of this stuff? Like, what, what are you seeing in terms of your conversations? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I think everybody understands the need to move to cloud. And I don't think it's a matter of questioning whether they have to. It's a matter of when. But what ends up taking place is it's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, and and some of the, the financial institutions that have been around for a very long time, it's a little bit of a struggle for them because they have so many so different complex. systems yeah. in-house. It's complex. And then they have different talent in-house and knowledge. Mm. Sometimes we have to help them change the narrative. And where am I going with that? For those of us that provide a cloud offering for financial institutions, the idea in, is to help them understand By moving to a cloud and allowing someone like us to take care of your operations, you allow yourself or you give yourself a platform Mm -hmm. to be able to innovate. You know, now you can shift your employees to do that innovation, to serve your clients better. You know, that's the key and allow us to run your operations. You don't have to worry about that 
you don't have individuals in-house anymore who understand the latest technology. It's more about let reduce your cost. There's a lot of cost savings. Allow us to do it. We make enormous investments. And, and, and there's so many hyperscalers out there that take care of the uh, resilience, all of the security that comes into play. They don't have to make those kind of investments. So, you know, we're seeing that movement. Like I said before, if you just look at the Accenture report, that's what we're seeing as well. Those conversations are taking place for us. I mean, there's no surprise. It's out there. It's public information. We've got clients like Vero, who is a challenger bank. We have Regents National Bank that was a traditional, you know, as a traditional uh, brick and mortar and commerce, and they've all done the move yeah. to go to the cloud. The fintechs, it's easier. The challengers, it's easier. And why? They don't have all this legacy, right, to contend with. But the banks that have been around for a while, that's where the struggle is is, is still there. But the move is coming. They're making it. I agree. Um <clears throat> At our conference last week, we we heard a lot of talk about um, deposits, deposits, deposits. That was what was on bankers' minds right now, um, and you know they're looking for technologies to be able to do that. In, in your last answer, when you, you you mentioned ESG and you mentioned SaaS, do you view those as disruptive technologies or those more enabling technologies? Like that were just these are becoming like expectations or table stakes right now. They're becoming stable uh, table stakes for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's absolutely necessary. You know, when it when it comes just to um, SaaS is going to have to be the model for everybody. Fintechs are going to continue to try to capture market share when it comes to deposit accounts. But the number one key that's always going to be a challenge here in the U.S. and certainly in other countries is, but first, we're heavily regulated, you know. The U.S. is a heavily regulated market. And let me tell you, even though there was a lot of applications for um, getting that banking charter, they take forever. They take forever to get that banking charter. And the reality is fintechs are phenomenal for innovating. They may not be, and I won't say that about everybody, they may not understand what it means to become a bank. Uh, It's not easy. But there is an opportunity in that blend to be able to to work with financial institutions, gain that partnership to be able to offer some of those traditional banking services for sure. I like that. As so, given these, <coughs> excuse me, given these uh, enabling technologies, these table stakes, what do you see as like sort of the next era of technologies? Like what what's what's showing the most potential for disruption? Yeah, you know, who I can name quite Your a few ball, actually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my crystal ball will tell you that the next area of disruption is, you know, going to be in a couple of areas. Uh, I, I talked about SAS, I talked about ESG. Um, you know, I haven't said much about payments, you know, but, but payments is so fundamental and necessary for everything we do. We're not going to go back to the way it was. Uh, we're doing everything online, and and that is the way we live our everyday life. And you also had, you know, I listened to a recent podcast that you just did, and it talked about Gen Zs. You know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different all about types Gen Z of now. generations. Yeah. It's all about Gen Z. You know, my, my son fits into that area, and it's all about the now, uh, the ease 
the convenience uh, of being able to to have a service, a transaction uh, immediately. It's that immediate, even gratification, if you would, that is taking place with the Gen Cs and, and personalization. And really what I'm, that really resonates. Oh, absolutely. With them. Yeah. And you know the other thing that I'm finding, you know, if you. If Depends who you talk to. If you talk to my mom, she still loves to go into the brand. She loves that personalization service. She likes to be greeted. She likes to have a conversation. Uh, if you talk to other friends and members of my family, you know, they do a little bit of both. Uh, and there's, like I mentioned, my son. My son doesn't know what a check is. You know, he doesn't even know what it's like to walk into a branch. Uh, you know, he'll say, what's that? Uh, you know, just send me money. You know, and so there, you have to be able to support that entire mix. And financial institutions are targeting different types of demographics, right? But having said that, you have to be able to have the tools in place because digital is here to stay, to be able to assist in every area, whether it's onboarding whether it's giving them the types of accounts that give the best rewards, uh, introducing that next best product for them, and even services that have nothing to do with their banking. You know, can I buy an insurance policy? Um, I want to take a vacation and, you know what, I want to pay it in three payments. Um, and I don't want to pay interest, so I saw, can I do I it? I saw that? during COVID, some banks were even helping their customers find jobs. That's interesting. You know, that that is amazing what technology can bring to the table. And that's really a great example of that. Um, buy now, pay later. You know, depends who you ask. People can say, well, you know, it, it's it's going down. It's not really increasing. And for me, this is just my personal opinion, is it's taking different shapes. Call it whatever you want, but it's here to stay. Uh, and everyone is launching I, I use some examples about going on vacation. Mm -hmm. You know, the other day I read if you, and that's the way it is, you know, go travel and, and pay it later. Even seen by a doctor, you know, go see a doctor and then pay it later. So it is emerging in very different aspects of our life. And if you look at where the economy is right now, you know, there is some uncertainty right now. And, and these kind of, lending offers are critical for many. What you have to be careful is that you don't overexhaust yourself uh, and overextend your credit. And I'll tell you one area that I wish someone would create, and maybe somebody's going to tell me it's already done, but I've yet to see it. There are so many great applications out there where you can get these kind of loans. And we continue to state the risks that go behind it. I would love to see an app that would bring all of them together so that you can get the view that I'm working with four lenders, multiple different banks. These are the different buy now, pay later that I have. I owe three here, I owe two here, I owe one here in a way that you can visualize it to help manage Ashford. your finances. Yeah. I, I think that would be something great that can be sold everywhere and anywhere. So if there's somebody out there listening, go create it and put it out there. It sounds like a Temenos, like uh, personal finance management <laughs> product to embed in, in the system. Yeah, I can already see my folks going, okay, yeah. we got it. <laughs> um, Nelly, we have time for one last question. I'm kind of curious um, where Temenos plays in all this. And if we look out forward, some of the trends that you talked about, some of the new technologies you, you described, 
how do you see Temenos's role in in helping that happen? Yeah, there's a lot of areas I think that you know we're really proud of of being a leader in our industry, and you know we we have so many different clients uh, across 150 countries. There are about 3,000 clients that we're working with today. And in the U.S., there's about 1,400 clients. You know, I've worked in many different markets, and the U.S. is the toughest to break. And I'm really proud of the work that Temenos has done. We have captured a market not only in the traditional banking space, which is, um, you know, um, traditional banks. I named two, commerce and regions. Um, there's also a lot of credit unions that we serve and certainly fintechs. And in the U.S., you have to be able to compete with the top three. Uh, and we certainly do that because we ensure that our software is maintaining the regulatory aspects that are needed. We're proven because these clients are now live. Uh, many new players coming into the U.S., you're able to capture three. You Sometimes you capture five. You go after this market for 10 years. And it's not easy. So like I said, the investments we make in our product, which is about 20% of our revenue year over year in the next four years, that really represents to $1.3 billion. Uh, so it's significant. We believe in growing our products. We believe in SaaS and continuously be able to uh, increase our SaaS business. I mentioned ESG. Um, and, and certainly we're constantly looking at where's the market going globally? Where's the market going in the U.S.? How do we need to shift to be able to support those changes? And, you know, we're here to stay and, and we have a phenomenal client base and we continue to see growth uh, in all aspects uh, and even interesting players that we never thought would take on a core banking platform. You know, it's, it's a banking platform that provides what we call composable banking. And what does that mean? That means that you can license what you need today. It's no longer that. Take this whole entire package. If you use it, fine. And if you don't, you don't. This is, hey, I want to go into buy now, pay later. Fine, take this. I'm an embedded finance. Fine, take this piece. I'm now a BAS provider uh, or I'm just a payments provider. And it's about growing and scaling as you need to be able to grow. And we also have, you know, in closing, we have a phenomenal ecosystem of partners because we recognize there are areas we just don't want to get into. And there are some great um, companies out there and we partner with them to be able to produce or to, to bring to the table rather the best of the best for financial institutions and fintechs alike. I appreciate that. And I definitely see like, future wins um, pointing to the, that ecosystem that you're describing that you're borrowing. It's not, you know, open finance enables that, but it's like when you, when you take on a, a software package like a Temenos, like it matters so much, you know, all the ancillary stuff that comes around it. And so um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, the work you guys have done in, in the U S Nelly, thanks for joining us on this tear sheet live session. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to doing more. And thank you all for turning, tuning in. Um, Zach Miller, Tearsheets Editor-in-Chief. Uh, this, this will also be reproduced as a podcast, so you can check this out wherever you get your podcasts. 